0: welcome to the teaching ministry of bay ridge christian church this teaching is from the series catechism at brcc we believe that our catechism is a useful tool to help us understand and grow in our faith but why find out in our series catechism Uh, This week I'm going to actually, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from the series in Mark uh, for a couple of weeks here. And this week I'm going to just be teaching on what is the Lord's Supper. Uh, We will be resuming Mark uh, a couple of weeks from now. But uh, today I thought it would be good for us to take a little bit of time to go through this question of what is the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and look at that. And so we're going to be looking at actually two passages this morning. I'll reference a couple of others, but we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, and then also 1 Corinthians 10, 16. So uh, Luke 22 and then 1 Corinthians 10. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Hear now the word of God. And he took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and then in 1 Corinthians 10:16 we read is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. So I decided this week to take a little time to talk about this because we come to the Lord's table every week. But one of the things that can happen is sometimes when you get used to doing things, we forget kind of why we do it why do we take time to come to the Lord's table? What is this meal? What's happening? Because it's not just us. Most Christians around the world and down through history have come to the Lord's table every single week. Some churches do it once a month and some even like once a quarter. But it has been an aspect of the church's worship, and again, for most Christians uh, each and every week. But why is that? What is it that this is supposed to be about? Why do we bother taking the time to do that? That's what we want to talk about today. And in doing that, uh, we actually, in our church's catechism uh, that we've had out there for a number of years where we try to think through things and, and carefully reason out what they are, we have a question, what is the Lord's Supper? So that's what we're going to answer this morning. And notice how we answer it is the Lord's Supper is the sacramental meal that Christ commanded all believers to eat in which the death of Christ for our salvation is represented in the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of the cup, and through which the believer spiritually feeds upon Christ, giving thanks to God as the elements are received in faith. So we're going to kind of take a little bit of time to unpack each of these and talk about what this is, and I hope it will encourage you, because as a young believer, whenever we did come to the Lord's table, whatever church I was part of, I never really understood what we were doing particularly, didn't really care that much about it. And then when I started to study, and I can remember one particular teaching where the person really explained the Lord's Supper, and I went from somebody who didn't really care to I, I longed come t- to come to the Lord's table uh, every time that we could get together and do that because I began to understand what God had promised. So that's what we want to try and unpack today, and hopefully it'll help us in understanding that. So the first thing to understand is the Lord's Supper, and the reason we do this, is because it's commanded by Christ. This isn't just something that somebody came up with an idea. It is commanded by Christ. So the Lord's Supper is the sacramental meal Christ commanded all believers to eat. Okay, now why do we say commanded it? Now first off, notice in our text, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. This wasn't something that the church decided to do later. Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper. So we read in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Um, This is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I mentioned a week or two ago that it's not actually recorded in John because John kind of goes through the extended discourse of Jesus in John chapter 6, which is kind of a precursor and a viewing ahead of the Lord's Supper. But it's recorded in the three synoptic gospels showing it's really a key event. And notice what's happening here, we know if you read all of Luke 22, for example, that Uh, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with the disciples, and they're taking a Passover meal. It's a traditional Passover meal, and we can actually kind of see the elements in it. So even the idea of the host of the meal taking bread, giving thanks, breaking, and then distributing, that was a part not only of traditional Jewish meals, but specifically of the Passover. In fact, it was really part of the Passover, and then kind of spread out to all the other meals from there. And it was uh, the cup is also a traditional part of Passover. There were actually several cups during the Passover meal. But so both the bread and the cup, Jesus isn't doing something completely new here. What he's doing is he's taking the Passover And he is transforming it, which is what we see throughout uh, the gospel, how everything that had been a pointer forward to Jesus Christ now finds its fulfillment in him. And that's what's happening here. He is, you know, this is the, the Thursday evening. He's going to be sacrificed the following day as the Passover lamb. That's what's going to happen. And so there will no longer, that's why we no longer sacrifice a Passover lamb to come to this table. Jesus. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Paul tells us that's in 1 Corinthians 5:7, but. He's transforming both the practice and the meaning of Passover. So notice he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And he speaks of it as being the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. So notice Jesus is here saying, look, you've had the Passover, but before, whereas it was the symbolic lamb, I want you to understand it's ultimately about me. I'm the lamb being sacrificed, and in fact, it's no longer the old covenant, it's now the new covenant in my blood. So what was sealed before by the the blood of bulls and goats is now going to be sealed by my own blood. So the new covenant is being initiated at this moment uh, as the fulfillment of the old covenant. And because it's a new covenant, there's a new meal that is given. In the old covenant, you ate the Passover meal every year. Now Jesus says you're going to be given a new meal for a new covenant. And it is actually this table. So Jesus has instituted it. But of course, what we stated was that he commanded it. Now, why do we say that? Well, notice there in Luke 22, he he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's not speaking about that night right now. He's sitting right there with them. He's talking about how in the future the church is going to do this in remembrance of Jesus, that every time we come together, we are going to remember him. Each time we come to the Lord's table, I actually kind of take a little bit from the Matthew, Mark, and Luke and 1 Corinthians mainly. It's mainly out of 1 Corinthians as we go through the ceremony. And the Apostle Paul is quoting back and telling the church, this is what Jesus said, therefore, this is why you come to the table. Christ commanded us to come and we are to come to the Lord's table. And so one of the amazing things is there are, different elements that have developed in different churches down through the ages and different cultures and different languages. And that's appropriate and okay in our worship. It'll look a little bit different in each culture and time and place. But you know something that has been common across all of those centuries? This table. It doesn't matter who they were, where they were, what they're practicing. People have come to the Lord's table because Jesus commanded it of us. So that's the first thing is it's commanded by Christ. Secondly, it's commanded by Christ because it is a meal that represents the death of Christ. And so notice the second thing that we say is the Lord suffers a sacramental meal Christ commanded all believers to eat in which the death of Christ for our salvation is represented in the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of the cup. So notice here the meal is not just You know, there's a lot of things you could say regarding these particular elements, but what Jesus tells us that is important about it is that when he took the bread and gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, he said, this is my body which is given for you. And then when he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So he is telling us here that this is a picture, a representation in the first place. It may be more, and we're going to come back to that, but it's a picture and a representation of Jesus' body and blood which are given for us in our salvation. And what that means is every time we come to the Lord's table, it is a reminder of the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus, that he bore the punishment we were due. Uh, This morning, one of the songs that Tom had picked out and that the team was singing had lines out of Isaiah 53 about Christ dying for us. And that's exactly what the the text that I had already picked to go in here. Notice in Isaiah 53 how clear the gospel is presented. He's he's talking about the servant of the Lord who is going to die to bear our sins. And notice what he says in verses 4 to 6. "'Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. "'Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. "'But he was pierced for our transgressions. "'He was crushed for our iniquities. "'The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed.'" we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So notice here, in multiple ways, the Lord points out and speaks and says that, look, there, there's two, two characters here. There's us, and there's this servant of the Lord that, that, that is there. Everything that's told about us is iniquity, sin, sin, breaking God's law, turning away, wandering off. And on the other hand, there is the servant of the Lord who is punished, crushed, pierced, wrath poured out upon, not for his sin, but because of the sin of the sheep, us, So this picture is there, and it is laid out so clearly upon us. And one of the reasons that Jesus wants us to come to this and rehearse this and remind ourselves of this is because this is central. In this meal, we remember that Jesus was broken for our sins, that he was crushed for our iniquities, and that his blood has cleansed our sins and sealed the new covenant, And we can never remind ourselves of this too often because, see, that message is offensive to our culture. It just simply is. And in fact, it is even offensive within many churches. There are people who have claimed, actually a person who claimed to be an evangelical, this was in England a number of years ago, said, if you believe that, that is cosmic child abuse. No, it's the gospel. It's salvation. It's how I'm forgiven. Maybe you think you're good enough to come into the presence of a holy God. I know I'm not. I also know you're not. We need to be reminded of this because there is something in us and in our sin that always wants to work our own salvation. We, we can never preach the gospel enough because you and I are hardwired for law. We are hardwired to justify ourselves. And we are only a generation at most away from the gospel being eclipsed, the gospel being forgotten, and us going back to law. It is a constant temptation for the church. And therefore, Jesus says, no. At the center of worship, what I want you to do is remind yourselves every week, broken body, shed blood. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, and that is to be central to what you are doing. And so, uh, the, the Lord tells us that, and and actually, Paul picks up on this, and we quote these words each week. But notice what he says in First Corinthians eleven. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, notice what Paul says that's interesting here. Jesus said, you're going to do this in remembrance of me. And every time we come to this table, we do remember what Jesus did. But but what verb did Paul use here instead of remember? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes comes see just as jesus's death lies at the center of our verbal proclamation of the word of god each week i'm constantly as we are unpacking the scripture we try to go back and show how it's finding its fulfillment in jesus christ how everything uh rigorously points back to christ and that the gospel lies at the center of what god is doing just as we do that in our verbal proclamation Each week when we come to the Lord's table, his death lies at the center of our visual proclamation of the word that happens at this table. The same thing that is being proclaimed verbally is being proclaimed here visually in front of us. God is working not just through our ears, but through our eyes. And actually in this meal that we are eating and drinking, even through our, our touch and our taste and our feel to proclaim uh, the gospel to us. And this is why the Lord's Supper is a critical part of our weekly worship. It's a reminder and a proclamation of the fact and the sufficiency of Jesus' death for us. One of the problems we can run into is that there are times where I I can forget and and you can start getting a teaching together and the teaching can start focusing on law. And then when you realize we have to come to the Lord's table, if I've only focused on law and not gospel, what becomes apparent is I'm like, okay, now let's come to the table. It's like, why? All, All we've done is talk about how I'm condemned. It's a reminder to say, no, in our verbal proclamation and here, it is about the gospel. We are to be gospel people. This is so, so important for us. Let me just say for a second, there is a temptation for us. How many of you have noticed our culture is becoming increasingly lawless around us, right? No standards, you know, we're putting light for dark and good for evil and all kinds of stuff. You know what is a huge temptation for me as a believer in that moment? Then, then we'll, if you won't proclaim law, we'll stand up and proclaim the law. But what's to be the real focus for the church? The gospel. We we do proclaim the law, but it has always got to end with the gospel. It's always got to point forward to the gospel. And there is a temptation that well, because the culture's not proclaiming the law, we're going to start we're going to start doing law. But see, that's not our task. Our task is to yes, we do proclaim the law, but it's always to point to the gospel. It's always to go to the gospel, and that can easily get lost. Well, Jesus has said. knowing what's coming, I'm going to keep right at the heart of your worship a visual reminder, a visual proclamation. Everything is about broken body and shed blood. Now, all of that's important enough, but there's another aspect of this, which is that the Lord's Supper is a sacramental meal for believers. So notice again, the way we put it in our in our catechism, is the Lord's Supper is a sacramental meal. And then at the end we say, through which the believer spiritually feeds upon Christ. So what we're saying here is this meal is a sacrament. It's not just a memorial symbol. Now, some believers, and early in my Christian life, I would have answered this and said, well, it is a pure symbol. That there's no direct presence or interaction or experience of Christ. The, the whole point here is I try to just remember that he died and feel really, really bad that it was my sins that caused that. And that's all that is happening here at the table. But that's not all that's happening. When you read the scripture, it's just like in water baptism. We looked at uh, just uh, about two months ago we looked at water baptism three months ago when we were having a couple of folks being baptized and we pointed out water baptism is not just a symbol the new testament language is no you're actually burying the old man god is imparting grace to let you walk in newness of life it is actually a sacrament the same thing is true here it's more than a just a bare symbol it is actually a sacrament now what do we mean when I use that term sacrament? I'm just going to throw up how we define it here real quickly. A sacrament is a symbol, but it is a special symbol given by God to his people that when received in faith, serves as a sign and seal of his promises to us, functions as a means of grace to strengthen us. Hold that phrase. And through which we testify our faith in him and his promises. So there's all kinds of symbols in the world. If I drive down the road and I'm coming up on a sharp curve, there's a symbol that's called a sign. And what does that sign tell me? What does it have on it if there's a curve ahead? It'll have that curved arrow, right? Now, what does that symbol do? It just points to something else. It's not actually connected to it. In other words, if you're a young teenager, you might steal that sign right, and take it and hang it on my bedroom wall. Not that we would encourage you to do that, but that's the kind of things that at least some teenagers, like that I hung out with, would do, okay? And that symbol, all it says is that there's a curve ahead in the road. Sacraments are not a symbol just like that. The the best example I've ever heard and that I can go with is um, if, if you pull out like a dollar bill, okay, what is a dollar bill? I mean, on one level, it's just a piece of paper with some ink on it, but it basically says this is legal tender of the United States. Why is it that stores everywhere take it if I pull out this piece of cloth paper and hand it to them? Why do they give me things for it? Is it because that piece of cloth paper is worth something? What stands behind that piece of cloth paper? right, the, the, the trust of the United States government, which might be becoming less, but nonetheless, it stands behind that. And so when you have this, you are vitally connected to what stands behind it. I can draw the same thing out. Does that actually connect me to that? No. Will, will anybody accept that? No. They're, they're, at least they're not supposed to, right? Right. They, they, they don't accept that because me drawing it out, even if I did a pretty decent job of drawing it out, it's not the same thing. That's what we're talking about with the sacrament. These are not just symbols that somehow, oh yes, I remember Jesus's body and Jesus's blood. It was done they actually connect us to Christ himself. Through a sacrament, we are spiritually united with the divine reality signified by the sacrament. So in water baptism, we are united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6. In Colossians chapter 2, he says it's the circumcision of our old nature. Well, here, notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen. This is that second text. We could point out, you know, Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, which seems to be something more than just a random symbol. He's saying there's a reality here. Notice how Paul phrases it in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? This word participation is the word koinonia. So whether you've heard, read Greek or not, you may have heard that word. Koinonia means fellowship, to share something together, to be vitally linked and united with someone else. And notice what Paul says here. He's trying to explain to the Corinthians because some of them were wanting to go and participate in idol feasts and saying, "Ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. And Paul said, no, there's something going on there. And he actually calls them the table of demons. He said, and you need to understand that we have our own meal. You don't need to go to an idol temple and eat at their worship. So we have a feast here and it actually unites you with Christ. It is a participation, a linking, a uniting with Jesus. Now, what this is hap- means is It's not just about me remembering. The Holy Spirit is here. When we come to this table, the Spirit has promised to meet you and I and to unite us with Christ in such a way that our spirit is nourished by Christ. And it's in a way analogous, if you will, to when I eat a meal at lunchtime, what's it going to do? Nourish my body it's going to strengthen my body. Well, Paul said the same thing. Don't you understand when you come and you take this bread and you take this cup, you are are participating with Christ himself. You are nourished. You are strengthened. That's why the phrase that is used is a meal. Now, we all recognize it's not a full meal here, right? But the point that Paul's making is, but for your spirit, it is. It's not so much about your body receiving nourishment in this case, as it is about your spirit doing. It. Now, that's not because, let me be clear, something happens to the bread and the wine, okay? We, we, we bought the little things at the supermarket, and, and if you took them after I've you know prayed over them and consecrated them and you and you put them under a, a microscope what are you going to find if you subject them to chemical analysis what will they be bread and wine but if you think that as we do this together that's all it is you're not thinking biblically the holy spirit unites us with christ in a way that is unique because he has promised to do so this is why jesus said do this this is why the early church did this the best records we have from very early on is they basically did this each and every time they gathered each and every week they did it we can see in acts chapter 2 for example acts two forty-two speaks of them opening the word them in fellowship them praying, and them breaking bread, coming to the Lord's table. That was the regular practice of the early church. But what's imperative in this then is that that means we have to come to this table like everything else in the Christian life and receive it by faith. Okay? Jesus died for us. How does does that actually wash my sins away? When I receive it by faith faith. If I don't receive it by faith, what happens? I remain in my sin. Well, when we come to the Lord's table, we do it by faith. So as we say that it's Christ commanded all believers to eat, the believer feeds upon Christ as the elements are received in faith because there are only four believers. In fact, if we carried on in 1 Corinthians 11, I won't take time to put it up, but if you notice what Paul said is, look, if you come to the table and you're not understanding and you're not recognizing and you're not eating in faith as a believer, what does he say? You actually eat and drink on yourself. Judgment. Okay? It sounds strange to us when Paul is saying this, but Paul is saying, no, you need to understand that, that this meal is meant to strengthen you by grace. But he was telling the Corinthians, some of y'all are coming in here and you're drunk and you're putting down your brothers and your sisters and you're, you're mocking them and you're doing all this. And Paul said, if you come to the table in that manner, you're not receiving grace, you're actually receiving judgment. And he actually says, that's why some of you are sick. Okay? Okay. Paul's words, not mine. Does it sound like Paul's thinking this is just some kind of a, I got to remember what happened. It's just a symbol. Nothing in his language sounds that way at all. He's like, no, God is at work and being there. And so we, the only way we receive anything in the Christian life is by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to him, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We, we're told in Hebrews eleven six, 6. And so this is a reminder, again, and it's a reminder of faith because why do I get to come to this table? Do I get to come to the table because we're going to put a chart up here and, every, and see how much we sin during the week? No, I mean, Lord, if it was that way, how many of us would be coming to the table? None of us. It's a reminder it's all been done by Christ, but it's also a reminder to us that we always live by faith. We receive the grace of God by faith, we continue to walk by faith, trusting in what Christ has done. So what does this mean for us? And again, I've taken the time today because it's something that we do, but we can easily forget. We, we sometimes just don't go over. And then this is when the church gets ripe for people coming in and changing things and shifting it. And we don't remember why we were doing it. And it's like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe we should change that. No, we shouldn't. We should stick to what the scripture said. So why is it important for us? Um, I'm, I'm not going to give a whole bunch of things, but I want to just encourage us to think through a few things. With, what this points out to us: number one, we build our pattern of worship on Scripture, not the latest fad in our culture. There's an ever-present temptation because churches start doing things, and it's the cool thing, and let's start wearing. That's not the question. What did God tell us to do for our worship? and he pretty much outlined it. Read Acts 2, 42, uh, actually starting at 38 and going to 42, and you'll find out what it is, is we gather, we pray, we open the Word of God, we come to the Lord's table, we build community and relationship with one another, we baptize new believers. This is what worship looks like. It is central. I'm sad to say there are some churches that, the Lord's Supper kind of falls out of practice because we like things that we can make, you know, can we, can we put some smoke and some lights and get some stuff going on around that? That doesn't work with this. It also doesn't work with prayer, which is one of the reasons the first two things that we sometimes start dropping off are prayer and the Lord's Supper because you can do all kinds of other things to jazz other things up, but you really can't with this. You have to simply trust in the promise of God which is the point. Secondly, it's a reminder to us that we need to understand how we worship and why we do what we do in worship. It's important for the church because, see, God can meet us anytime, place, anywhere, okay? He can. I love being out in nature. Is it possible that I could go sit on a mountain somewhere and not even have a Bible with me and God could speak to me? Yes, it is possible. Is it guaranteed? Has God promised to meet me there? Does anybody know where he has promised to meet me? Can I get a light on the table? Whether I feel like it, don't feel like it, whether it seems really doesn't matter. He has promised he will meet me there. This is why we worship the way we do. It is driven by what the scripture says teaches because God works via the means he's prescribed not what I personally like I personally find moving I have interactions with people all the time that want to alter the way the church is doing things because of what they personally find interesting that they it's like but what what about what Jesus likes isn't that the point see I could uh, I like certain styles of music. For example, I like heavy metal. My wife always asks me, why is that person so angry and why is he screaming at me this early in the morning? If I took Linda out and said, we're going to go on a date, hon, I bought tickets to the Megadeth concert. Yes. (laughs) So if I do that and say, but I feel like It really is good for us in our relationship when we go to Megadeth concerts. Am I really doing what she wants or am I doing what I want? When we come to worship, who decides what it is that we're supposed to be doing? It's Jesus, it's not me. And if I put my desires at the center, it's like me saying, I don't understand, hun, you wanted a date night, I took you to a Megadeth concert. See, I've made it about me rather than about her. Christ is at the center, and he's told us what worship looks like. Fads come and go in the church. They always will. That's not the question. Question is what has God told us in His Word, and so there's a lot today, even of Bible believing, uh, and I can almost put that in quotes, evangelicals who downplay the very things God has given as most important for growing in faith, and they start stressing things that God hasn't even told us. I remember having a conversation with a pastor one time, and he was questioning me as to why we didn't do a certain thing in our meetings that were popular, and I said is there anything in the Bible about that? And after we really couldn't come with anything in the Bible, I was mentioned. she said, well, how often do you come to the Lord's table? Well, we don't really get to do that very often because we don't have time. So you don't have time to do what Jesus said to do, but you do have time in your meetings to do things he didn't say to do. I'm just gonna leave that hanging there, okay? It's very important we stress what Jesus told us to stress. This is so important. And it also, I will say, and I'm not going to really dive into this, but one of the things that happens when we understand the sacraments is what I would call the physicality of spirituality. And I'm going to talk about this more in After Hours. In the early church, there's this group I mention a lot, the Gnostics. They separated the material and the spiritual. So what I'm saying about sacraments makes no sense to a Gnostic, because I'm trying to be spiritual, I'm trying to get away from the physical, and Jesus says, you want to experience the Holy Spirit, pull out some bread and some juice. Physical bread, physical juice. No, you may not dispense with them. Yes, take person and put them in water. You can't just imagine they were baptized, actually, but it's not convenient, Lord. Not about convenience. And actually, uh, and I'll go through in after hours, the entire spiritual life is built around physical things. Fasting, reading your Bible, doing all kinds of things. This again is a reminder, our notions of spirituality are oftentimes very far off from what the reality is. And the last thing, and we'll come to the, the table with this, Is one of the reasons I love coming here is when we come and we gather. This isn't about going through the motions each week. Why we are here is because we want to meet God. We we don't gather because we want a free concert. We don't gather because I like hearing a guy give a lecture. We don't gather because there's coffee and donuts beforehand why are we here? Because I need to meet God. He he is here to meet us. He is here to meet us in the singing. He is here to meet us as we pray. He is here even as we're in fellowship with one another. He is here as we open the word of God together, but he is also here to meet us at this table. And each of those are distinct. And each of those are important to what we're doing. So what I want to encourage you, not only today, but each and every week, come to this table with great expectation. That it may have been an awful week. I may have felt a million miles from God. I feel like the psalmist, oh God, I'm in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I am thirsting. I feel so far away. But I am coming to the table. And I believe You're going to feed me as my good shepherd. I believe you are going to be here. I believe no matter how much bread or whoever else is up front, they may stumble and bumble over their words, they may mess the thing up. It doesn't matter. You are here to feed me. You've promised. I believe it. And now I'm going to receive it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to come to the Lord's table and. As they get get ready to pass out the elements, I'm going to read from the passage that really opened up my eyes to the Lord's table and why it's so important. This is from Luke chapter 24. I'm just going to read a brief part of it. But you remember this is the day of the resurrection. There's two disciples walking down the road to Emmaus, and a stranger walks up with them. Who's the stranger? Jesus. We know that. They don't. But he starts talking with them and and they're all confused. They're saying, we don't understand. We thought he was the Messiah. Then he got crucified. It's been three days. And then some of our women said he's alive from the dead, whatever that means. Okay. They're all confused. That's where we're going to pick up. Luke 24. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. In our parlance last week, he was going to pass by. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Any of those words sound familiar? Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And when they went back, I won't take time to read, when they went back and reported to the apostles, it says, and they told them how they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. There was something that was so specific in them. Jesus had just given them the greatest of all Bible teachings, and they still didn't fully get it. When did they see him? When he broke the bread. Their eyes were opened. And they knew they were being fed by Christ. Come to the table. Let the Lord open your eyes. Receive from his hands. For I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread When he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to be passing out the elements now, starting at the back. I again remind you to make sure you get both cups where there's the bread and the cup. And as we do so, I encourage you just to, with expectant heart, ask the Lord, Lord, I want to in my spirit see you. I want in my spirit right now to receive from you, and let's trust Christ to meet us. Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Lord, we are grateful for your personal work in our lives. Lord, you personally created us and breathed into us the breath of life. You personally took flesh to live and die in our place. Your spirit dwells in us, uniting us to you. And Lord, as we worship each week, you speak to us by your spirit through your word, and you unite us with Christ at this table so that we are fed and strengthened. Lord, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, our eyes have been opened and we have beheld Christ in his glory and majesty and we now receive from his hand. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. And it is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of of Christ Lord we are grateful that the new covenant is sealed by your blood for the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins and thus they had to be offered day after day but with one great sacrifice your blood has removed our sin forever Lord we give you thanks that as we approach this table in faith Rather than being condemned for our sin, we are drawn in by your Spirit to receive fresh grace and forgiveness. We receive this cup of grace and blessing now from your hand with grateful hearts. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's go ahead and stand together. And we'll conclude with prayer and a benediction. Lord, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you raised us up with Christ. You seated us in the heavens, and you united us with his body, the church. Lord, this is reality. By your Spirit, you dwell in us. You convict us of our sin. You comfort us. You guide us. You give us spiritual gifts. You empower us to resist sin and to embrace righteousness. Lord, this is reality. And we thank you that by your Spirit you have met us today in your Word and at your table so that we have heard the voice of our Father. We have seen the glory of the Son and we have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask you now by your Spirit to fill us anew. Lord, we ask that by your Spirit you would stir up the gifts of God within us. Lord, we ask that to be enveloped by your powerful presence so that we might live before your face Moment by moment, each day of this week. Lord, we are grateful that you are not a philosophy. You are not just a God who is transcended and exalted. Lord, you are that. But you are near to us, you are with us, you are in us. Lord, may we experience your empowering presence every day this week. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. One last thing we will do, which is our benediction each week, and I remind you as well on this, that this isn't our idea I'm going to be going from Numbers right now, the blessing that Aaron told to speak over the sons of Israel. And he said, and when you bless them, what will happen? I will bless them. Who who wants to be blessed by God? Reach out and receive it by faith. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.